for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, and I am joined once again by Rob Dunham in his Seattle Mariners hat. Old school. Even though today is uh, my first opening day as a Miami Marlins fan, and may I say that we started off Quite well with a one to zero loss. Made it back up the pitching. <laughs> well, the Braves lost to me too in extra innings. So well, at least you I scored like... runs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Didn't look like it for a while. <laughs> Imagine trying to score. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is not a baseball podcast. What? I know it is opening day, but we had a whole segment about it last episode. What do you mean it's not a baseball podcast? Well, we can have some overlap every once in a while. It's okay. <laughs> well, if we record it, they will come. Yes, and if you enjoy witty banter such as this back and forth, tell your friends about the Film for Fans podcast. We would love to have more viewers and more listeners that we can comment about, chat with. Um, so. Tell your friends about it. If you do, nobody will ever pull an April the Fool's prank on you ever again. If you don't, I will send you to the orthodontist and specially request Aaron Judge dentures for your face. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> like, I don't think it's, it would be possible for more teeth to fit in his face. I just... <laughs> And we're jumping off the rails. <laughs> okay, well, aside from this, we actually do have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking Netflix going all in on Knives Out, Godzilla versus Kong, and we're going to be playing the game of dates. So. I love a good date. Mm-hmm, don't we all? Are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. Okay, so let's start out with our first story. And this is Netflix is going to be purchasing, or they have purchased, two sequels to Knives Out for a whopping $450 million. So Netflix is going all in on Benoit Blanc. It's a lot of millions. That's a lot of millions. That is a big payout. Netflix continues to spend like there's no tomorrow. <clears throat> so, uh, the details are that they are purchasing two sequels, the rights to two sequels from Media Rights Capital, who were the ones who did the first film, Knives Out. And it looks like both Daniel Craig will be back as Detective Benoit Blanc, and writer-director Ryan Johnson will also be back. Uh, as far as everything else, it looks like they're going to be doing whole new casts for at least the second movie. And we'll see where they go from there. So this is a lot of money being shelled out by Netflix for this, for this film. Now, the first one had a budget of only $40 million and made over $330 million. So it was a huge success. And it was a great movie, earned some Oscar nominations, and was really a terrific film. So I'm not surprised that there are sequels. But the sheer amount of money that Netflix spent on this is kind of eye-opening. What did you think? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a gamble because the first one was kind of, it's kind of like a 
you wonder if it's a flash in the pan. Mm -hmm. uh, such such a well executed shot and acted movie, but uh, rumors are true that the following two movies will have completely different casts other than Daniel Craig playing the detective. You have to wonder if they're going to have the same chemistry, if it's going to vibe as well as the first one did, because uh, I think the true strength of the first movie was the capability and quality of the people in the movie, because mm -hmm. everyone from top to bottom did a great job, in my opinion. Yeah. So will you get the same kind of thing if you have 10 new people in the cast? But, uh, you know, another another uh, way to look at it may be that because of the success of the first one, you might have a bunch more bigger name actors interested in being in subsequent uh, versions of Benoit Blanc stories, mm -hmm. um, considering like people like Jamie Lee Curtis and Chris Evans and Don Johnson, these people are hardly pushovers. <laughs> We're in that movie and excelled. Do you think that other people would want to be doing the same? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because what you set up is now we've got two kind of dueling detectives uh, on, on their series because we have Poirot uh, as having his sequel. Um, you have Murder on the Orient Express and now coming Death of a Nile if they ever decide to release Death of a Nile on the Nile. So um, you have two detectives, Kenneth Braga playing Poirot along with Daniel Craig playing Benoit Blanc. Both of them have crazy accents. So the question is, which detective do you like better? Yeah, to be fair to Branagh, the uh, Agatha Christie stories are only slightly like 100 years older than, <laughs> <laughs> than what we've got going with Knives Out. But um, yeah, it's interesting that they're both prominent in the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was, the, that was the most immediate comparison to me was the the way the detective was written, it almost seemed like he was a, a shadow or a takeoff of that character because there's so many similarities, but it was really well done. I think this just shows that Netflix is not going, they, they're the ones who started the streaming revolution and I think they are doing everything they can to stay on top of it. And they're just going all out. And so I think it's, I mean, it's bold and it's ambitious and you're not shelling out this much money if you're not expecting to get huge returns on it. So, I mean, it does show something about where they think the future of movies is going. Yeah, so, so the first one made $331 million, but you also have to bear in mind that was in a time long ago in a far off land where people yeah. could go into the theaters and be <laughs> sold out. So are they gonna be able to capitalize on that? Are they, so Netflix bought it, but I don't think we have any info yet on if they're going to do like a theatrical release alongside beforehand, how all that's going to work. So yeah, they're not interesting to see how they try and capitalize on it. I would think they would have to do a theatrical release for this if they want to get yeah. bang for their book. So, but uh, hey, the first one was really good. So I think that I'm. I, I think it's a good thing. We'll we'll see if it turns out to be good, but I, I have my hopes up for it. All right, so. We are recording this on April 1st, and yesterday, Kong vs. Godzilla came out in theaters and on HBO Max. So, Rob, can you tell me, are you interested? Uh, I am massively interested. Oh, and, yes. 
I can say unironically that this is probably the movie I've been most excited about coming out all year. Okay. And I think that this series of monster movies that uh, Warner has been doing has been overlooked a little bit and I think uh, underrated. I think that I've seen several iterations of Godzilla, several iterations of King Kong and you know, if you want, if you want to argue as a purist that the only great Godzilla movies are the Gojira movies from Japan, the original movies, <laughs> then it, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk you out of that. Um, but for what's been made in, let's call it modern cinema, I think these movies are the best monster movies that have been made. Period. Um, uh, King Kong, uh, Skull Island, uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and uh, the first one that they did with him as well um have all been really good movies and i think they're shot really well i think the music and scores are picked incredibly well um the acting has been uh good enough i don't know if you're ever going to have amazing acting in a monster movie um, but even in uh the last kong movie samuel l jackson was actually like understated which <laughs> does not happen very often so <laughs> the fact he was able to do that uh, was a little bit impressive to me. And uh, John C. Riley was great in that movie as well as the um, uh, pilot who ended up stranded on this island and found Kong and the people that worship him and deify him. And the, they've built this up really well for this meeting of Kong and Godzilla to come together. And I think that for people who are a fan of monster movies in general, and I would say I am, uh, this is like the ultimate, the two beasts coming together and fighting each other. I don't see any way that Kong will be able to defeat a giant lizard with a space laser shooting out of his mouth. Uh, but I'm still rooting for him because go monkey. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this movie and we'll be watching it very soon. So, Yeah, I think you're right on the fact that these movies have been overlooked and they're underrated. Uh, I remember going to see the first Godzilla movie in this in this sequence and I just went to because I needed and I needed to something to do with some guys and I really didn't have any expectations to it but it delivered a surprisingly good movie there's a surprising amount of depth and character to them which is unusual for a movie of this caliber usually it's all action and nothing in the background or the story or the plot is so lame and ridiculous that it it's not even worth it but they actually took some time and attempted to craft this actual story around these movies so i think that there's a lot of hope for kong versus godzilla and the action sequence look from the trailers look like they were really well done and this one's coming out in imax too so you can see it if you have an imax theater i think a movie like this deserves imax and I would say, like, even down to something simple, like the way Godzilla sounds in these movies is something that impresses me about them because they took a lot of time, a very measured approach, and came up with a very specific sound that Godzilla makes. And it sounds like the original writers of the character brought across and had intended. Like, it has a lot of depth, it has a lot of feel underneath it you feel like the character has some gravitas some you know muscle some 
some energy that you should be afraid of. And I, I just remember um, when I saw the first one, the first time when it panned, like it was panning over Godzilla in the city. And then you see him turn and you hear that for the first time. Like it gave me chills. And like you, when I first saw it, I wasn't, I didn't have like huge major expectations, but hearing that roar for the first time was like, oh yeah, this is Godzilla. This is not Matthew Broderick. This is not 1998. This is actual Godzilla. <laughs> you know, and it needed that revival after that disaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing. I think it got the right treatment. I think they actually have, the characters actually have, the monsters actually have motivation to them. And you really, I think one of the things that I love too is it gets the scale right. I think they did a great yeah. job getting the scale accurate and, and the just dramatic size, the dramatic sense of the, of the monsters, I, I think is right on. And that really gives it a good realistic feel to it. That halo scene in the first movie that they use in the trailers is also, I think, just one of the best shot scenes in the last probably 10 or 15 years. Just the music and how everything is put together is just perfectly done. Mm -hmm. And that's like before that scene where you hear Godzilla for the first time. That's just that whole sequence is really well executed. So... Make sure you get out and see Kong versus Godzilla, whether you're going to theaters or on HBO Max, it is out now. So do it. Go see it. Do it. A good monster movie. Or Godzilla will come get you. Do it. Yes. So now, now to the third story, and this just makes me <clears throat> irrationally excited. So the director of Kong versus Godzilla was in the news for another movie he wants to make. And this just, this is so great. He is, this name is Adam Wingard, and he is going to be doing a sequel to Face Off. Face Offer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there will be a sequel, though the sequel you never knew you needed will be coming Face Off, the sequel. I'm just not sure what you put in a sequel. Like, because <laughs> he said he's not remaking it. So what does the sequel mean? So he, it's one of his favorite movies. This, the Face Off, if you're not familiar with Face Off and you really, really should be, uh, it was a movie made in 1997 with John Travolta and Nicolas Cage directed by the incomparable John Woo. Doves everywhere. Doves. All the doves, <laughs> all the doves you can imagine. <laughs> and the plot of the movie is awesome and ridiculous in that they literally take the face off of one of the characters and put it on the other character. They swap faces, literally swap faces. So that John Travolta spends the entire movie acting like Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage spends the entire movie acting like John Travolta. And it's disturbing. It is. It's it really fantastic. Is. It is outlandish. It is utterly ridiculous film. It is my. It's one of the ones that's next up on my my tour of the uh, of nineteen nineties action cinema. But it is amazing. I mean, it features. It features. I mean, it is. John, it is John Woo in all of his glory. It is Nicolas Cage in all of his glory, 
and it features um, the, the famous saying, we're going to take his face off. Yeah, when movies say the title of the movie in the movie, it's great. And that's like the best example of it. Because <laughs> it's so dramatic and overblown. It's great. So Wingard, Wingard said it's one of his favorite movies. And he learned a lot. It was what introduced him to the concept of slow motion. <laughs> his comment was, you look at face off and like 80% of it is in slow motion. So it was a big turning point. I have high regard for this film. Did Zack Snyder only watch Face Off his entire childhood? Is that what happened here? Is that... I think we have pinpointed that an entire generation of filmmakers was inspired by Face Off. I think we have to come to this conclusion that there was an entire generation of filmmakers inspired by Face Off. So how can you not be excited for that? I mean, I... it's, it's going to be ridiculous, whatever it is. It has to be. If it's not ridiculous, then I would be highly disappointed. Can we call it face on, please? Just because? That, there has to be something like that. It has to be like face on or, I, I don't know, you have to have that, that wordplay somewhere in the title. We, we, need to, we need to get the Fast and the Furious title writers on board here and yeah. come up with something nice. Maybe face forward or something. I don't know. <laughs> face off again. <laughs> faces back where they were i don't know <laughs> refaced refaced <laughs> hey we keep at it we'll come up with something good but yeah we'll just we'll, we'll send them a letter to make sure that they know that they have the right title i think we better move on or else we're going to lose our entire audience that that's happened already so. <laughs> <laughs> okay so for our discussion sections uh <laughs> The first one I want to bring up, there was an article that was on Entertainment Weekly uh, recently here where a Marvel fan broke the Guinness Book of World Records, which already you know this is going to be ridiculous. He broke the world records after watching Avengers Endgame 191 times in theaters. Those are rookie numbers. Got to pump those numbers up. For real. <laughs> Amateur, I'm telling you. 191 times. That is quite ridiculous. He is, of course, from Florida because what? why not? 191 times, which is really unbelievable. Now, this, of course, brings up the question that has to be asked. Rob, what is the most times you've ever seen a single movie in the theater? <laughs> I think I'm gonna have you. I think I'm gonna have you beat, which will make me very proud of myself and also very <laughs> disturbed. Um, <clears throat> so you may remember this small movie that came out uh, called *The Phantom Menace*. It's kind of ah. a big deal. Mm. Uh, the first new Star Wars movie in uh, what is it? Third uh, over 25 years at that point. And um, I saw *The Phantom Menace*. So one thing you should know about The Phantom Menace is it was in the theater for about nine months straight. Yeah, it was in a long time. Because it came out in the spring, I believe, but it was still in the theater at the end of the summer. It was out a long time. I think it, I think it was out seven, seven plus months in the theater, which is not a normal thing. Um, I saw The Phantom Menace in the theater 11 times. Whoa, nice. 
So I saw it a few times before the summer, a couple times during the summer, a few more times after the summer. <laughs> and I, every time, like, even then I was like, this is not a good movie. But it was Star Wars, <laughs> and it was new Star Wars. And so I just had to watch it over. And, it like, I wasn't going, I was a kid back then still. I was, uh, I was like 16 or 17, I think, when it came out. Um, wait, 97, it came out in 97, didn't it? 99. 99, yeah, so I was 16. Um, I saw it, like, every every time I saw it, I saw it with different people. So it wasn't like mm -hmm. I was going by myself to the theater each time to watch the movie. Because when I see a movie I really, really like in the theater, I do like to go back and watch it again with someone that I know will appreciate it. Um, there, are, I, I think there are several examples between me and you of that working both ways where one of us will see a movie in the theater and we'll say, you got to come see this movie in the theater. Yeah. Because it's just so much better knowing your friend has seen it too. But I did that like 10 times with the Phantom Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And I, you know, I, you don't even have to go because I know it's the nine times you saw Titanic. So we can just skip ahead to the next. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I do have I do have friends that I know legitimately saw Titanic double digit times in the theater and that movie is four hours long. I'm pretty sure that's a sign of mental illness. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, it's pretty sure that's in the uh, that's in the what is that the DS DLM or I don't think they realized the boat sank like after the first nine times so they had to go yeah. see it again. Mm -hmm. it's, so it's, what's the movie you've seen the most in the theater? So I know the two ones that I've seen the most. And I know that, I know for sure what those, the number is, but they're one of them I might've seen one more time. I can't quite remember. So I believe the there are two that are tied and that is The Dark Knight and Tenet. And the number is four mm. for sure. Four for sure, uh, possibly five on the Dark Knight. I can't quite remember if I saw that a fifth time or not, but that is that is my number. The Dark Knight, I I saw it at least five times because I saw it twice in IMAX and at least three times in the regular theater. Yeah, I know I saw it four times. I'm not 100 percent sure. I might have seen it five times. I saw that the Dark Knight. I saw in uh, the IMAX theater in Harrisburg was an actual IMAX theater not a conversion one like most of the ones around yeah. are currently. Is that one you and I went to? Pro yep, yep, I believe so. I think so, yeah, because I remember going to see that in Harrisburg. Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a good IMAX theater there. Yeah, you completely, like, it, so for those of you who don't know, there's a difference between, not to get all nerdy, but there's a difference between most IMAX theaters that are branded IMAX now and actual IMAX theater because actual IMAX theaters used to only exist in like science centers and places like that um, to showcase like nature movies. And then like regular movies were like, we can do this too. But what happened is IMAX sold the branding to that kind of screen. So other people could relate it to like just a giant screen and not like actual specifications. But like you're talking about the one in Harrisburg, when you're at an actual one, when one of those giant scenes comes up where it's full screen, fully shot in IMAX, like you lose yourself mm -hmm. in the screen. Like there's a scene in, in that movie where there's the helicopter flying 
across over in is it hong kong in that scene yeah. and you you feel like you're in the air <laughs> it's just amazing like yeah. the the difference that you've experienced and i know exactly what you're talking about i when i was in austin texas for a conference i went to a movie and i bought the imax i think it was ender's game i went to see an imax and i got into the imax theater and it was no bigger than the normal movie theaters I normally go to. I'm yeah. like, what did I just pay an extra four dollars for? Like, yeah. <laughs> the screen was like going to get in regular. I don't understand. Yeah. So it was quite disappointing. There is a big difference between IMAX screens. So make sure you find a good one. And there's actually, I uh, maybe can link it in the show notes. I don't know the actual site off the top of my head, but there is the website that tracks uh, each different kind of IMAX screen. And you can like look for the one that's closest to you that is the actual like full standard version mm -hmm. for IMAX. Yeah, so that, that was an interesting side note. But for me, it was the Dark Knight and <clears throat> Tenant. And Tenant was one of those two, like you were saying, where I wanted, I had a whole bunch of people I wanted to see it with, and none of us could ever coordinate schedules to do it all at the same time. So I went four times with four different groups of people. What kind of jerk would do that, the, like me? Yeah, for real. <laughs> it didn't make the original premiere. Yeah. <laughs> Lame. Indeed. Okay, so our note, we still got a lot of work to do, though, clearly. We're not quite up at the 191 level. Yeah, got, got to pump those numbers up. Seriously, I don't know. I There's a lot of movies I absolutely love. I don't know that any, even my favorite movies, I don't know that I would ever have the guts to get anywhere close to that <laughs> number. If he does not have that movie memorized by now, then something is very wrong. <laughs> yeah, at what point At what point do you even bother? I mean, there's, there's nothing more to see at that point. You just go in the theater and close your eyes and just imagine all the action happening in front of you as you listen to it. It's burned on your retinas. <laughs> all right, so are you, are you ready to play a game, Rob? I am. Okay, so the game we have today is Name the year. Each of us have a list of movies that we will call out. And the other one has to tell what year it debuted. So this is a pretty straightforward game. And I think we're going to do five apiece. Sounds good. All right. Rob, you want to go first? Are we going to alternate here? Yeah, we'll alternate here. Okay. So all my movies start with S because I just felt like it. Okay. Um, in honor of baseball, because baseball has an S. Um, the movie that I will start out with is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Hmm. Are we talking the Disney animated cartoon? The original animated cartoon from Disney, yes. Oh, man. I want to say... Shoot, I don't. Nineteen fifty-six. See, I thought you would do that because I think that everyone does not. I when I say the date, I think it will surprise you, and I think that you're one of the newer ones. No, you'll be even more impressed with the amount of work and effort that went into making this possible. Because Was when I hear this date, having seen the movie, I'm like, how is that possible? Came out in 1937. Okay. I, I was trying to decide whether I was going to go 30s or 50s on this. Yeah. And I went 50s. Yeah. Okay. But just like the, the, um, the sheer 
like craziness of what people were seeing on screen must have blown their mind when this came out in 1937 because it holds up today yeah well and back when we, they were drawing it all by hand just the immense yeah. amount of work that takes is insane like it still looks good today and it came out in 1937 yeah and you can't say that for some you can't say that for some of the computer animated stuff that came out in the early 2000s it's just not the same it's not quality mm -hmm. what do you got all right so here you go this is i'm going to give you a couple harrison ford movies oh boy lesser known harrison ford movies. <clears throat> oh uh -oh. six days and seven nights the the thing that's helpful about this is i don't think i've ever seen it so um <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna guess 1992. 98. ah at least I was in the right decade. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Your next one is a movie that annoys me trying to look up on IMDb because they refuse to put V in it. And the only way you can find it is by searching S-E, the number seven, E-N. Uh, the movie Seven came out in what year? Ah, uh, yes. That was a 90s movie. I want to go 1997. Close. 95 right in the middle of the 90s it's on my list of ones to watch again ah, dang okay all right that's a good movie what's in the box ryan what's in the box don't look <laughs> okay another harrison ford one k19 the Widowmaker. maker uh that classic sub movie Hmm. The last one was 98. I'm going to 2000, 2000. Straight 2000? Yes. Close. 2002. Ah, I was between 2000 and 2001, so I wouldn't have gotten it right anyway, but <laughs> I, I thought you, it was early 2000. You so. nailed the era. You got yeah. the era pretty good on that one. Um, The Sound of Music. Oh. 1963. Very close. 1965. <sighs> All right. At some point, I have to I have to dedicate some time to memorizing the Best Picture Oscar winners by year mm. because that would be helpful information to know. Yeah. Okay. Another Harrison Ford one before we move on to another actor. Ender's Game. Obviously, fairly recent. Uh, this is the problem with movies because when you get older, fairly recent is not as fairly recent as you think. Yeah. In a lot of cases. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to guess 2000, 2014. Really close, 2013. Mm. 2013 for Ender's Game. Hey, I've been pretty close on most of them, so I'll yeah. take 
Yeah, um, very few we've been way off on. All right. Your next one is Sin City, the original. Ooh, okay. Um, I think this movie falls into that category of you might think it's way more recent than it was. 2007. 2005. Oh, man. I thought I knew it was after I... I graduated college i just thought it was a little bit further after that <sighs> okay okay that one i thought i was gonna get that is not i'm not okay with that, I missed that. <laughs> not cool man <laughs> not cool man <laughs> okay the original mission impossible with tom cruise Ninety-nine? Ninety-six. Mm. A little older than I thought. Yeah. All right. Last one for you. Uh, serendipity. Okay. That is... I'm pretty sure that's late 90s. 99? 2001. Oh, newer than I thought. Ah. Yeah. Not by a whole lot, but... Yeah. There's a there is a difference mentally between the late nineties and the early two thousands though. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Like I was in high school and I was out of high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It took it takes it usually takes like a couple years at the beginning of a new decade to clear out the old decade. True. So there's a lot of crossover there, usually in style and feel. There's a lot of crossover for the first couple of years. All right. So your next Tom Cruise movie is War of the Worlds. Mm, between two years, I think it's one of them. I'm going to go with 2002. 2005. Ah, I was going to say two or three, but I would not have been right. <laughs> So I think the gauge that we got here is that we're both pretty good at identifying what era it is, but not so good at getting them actually right. Yeah. <laughs> Unless we're talking about Snow White, in which case, you know. Yeah. It's just old. It's just old. <laughs> yeah. I know that that's the thing. It's like I knew there were a wave of Disney films in the 30s. I knew there were a wave in the 50s. And I couldn't remember which wave that one belonged to. Yeah, yeah, Snow White was the first major Disney fully animated motion picture. So, and I should know that because I've read several things on Walt Disney. So, yeah, brain let me down. All right, well, I guess Rob wins because he wasn't as bad on one of his guesses as. Yay! I was not as bad. Woo! Yay! <laughs> I'm the best of the worst. Let's go. <laughs> All right, you ready for the watch list? I am. All right, since you watched one movie this week, Rob, let, let's, let's talk about your one movie. I, I know that this was a fantastic week of cinema for you, so let's, uh, let's hear it. Yeah, my work schedule has been such that I've been going to bed at like 9.30 or 10 and getting up at 3, so um, not a whole lot of movie watching time, uh, but we do have a family movie that we watch every week, and this week my wife picked the movie, and 
you know, she knows how I feel about it. So this is nothing that I've not <laughs> told her already. Some of it while the movie was happening without trying to be too jerky about it. Um, but she was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Pretty much everything I said. Um, I watched the cinema masterpiece Holiday in the Sun starring Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. Oh, um, <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I don't know what the director of this movie thought he was making, but it was not this movie. Because throughout the movie, there's unnecessary slow motion. There's unnecessary black and white scenes. There's unnecessary scenes that look like they were shot on a, a 16 millimeter home camera there's random scenes where people are running around and for no for no reason that i can think of it just pauses on random islanders faces like be like action 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 pause on little black kid face action 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 pause on little latin kid face action 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 pause on little white kid face it's like <laughs> what kind of nouveau art nonsense are you making here because you're not quentin tarantino this is a mary kate and ashley olsen movie <laughs> and watching it now is even funnier because their sister has like so far surpassed and exceeded anything they ever did yeah that like thinking back on to when they were stars it's like almost kind of comical really it really is because she's just a way better actress and has accomplished way more than they ever did um the other thing about this movie that is very interesting is essentially an infomercial for the atlantis resort in the bahamas which is i've i've been past there i've been to the bahamas and been past there it is quite a spectacle because in the movie the movie starts out with them being sad because they're not going to hawaii but they're they're sad because they can't go to Hawaii and they have to go to the Atlantis Resort in the Bahamas. That's rough. Oh man, I feel That's like rough. so terrible for them. <laughs> um, but the whole, like throughout the movie, there's just random, completely unnecessary two minute, three minute long montages of like their dads going down one of the giant water slides because here's a giant water slide you can ride on if you're Atlantis. at Atlantis. Here's a giant cave you can walk through with sharks swimming over you if you're at Atlantis. Here's a place you can go scuba diving if you're at Atlantis. Here's a place, another water slide. Here's another water slide. Like the whole, it feels like a commercial, like an hour and a half long commercial for the resort. And it, it must be like, I don't know how much they paid them, but like every single tracking shot to establish a scene is flying over the resort. Like, look at the giant resort. It's so big. Um, Did they feature any scenes on the bridge uh the bridge suite between the i two. don't i'm not sure okay but they they hit pretty much every part of the park so probably <laughs> um so if if you want uh you know to get your like timeshare slash uh, retractable awning slash um you know whatever infomercial feel video but have it be an hour and a half long and star mary kate and ashley Olsen. I highly recommend you watch Holiday in the Sun. Okay. Two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> um, you want to know another movie that actually features Atlantis pretty prominently was After the Sunset mm. uh, with Selma Hayek and Pierce Brosnan and Woody Harrelson. Interesting. The heist movie. 
I mean, not quite as high caliber actors as Holiday in the Sun, but you know, might no. be worth checking out. But it's you know, it's it, it's worth it's worth it if you want to slum it a little bit. <laughs> no. I mean the the. The I looked up the director's credits and the majority of his credits are like music videos. So, oh, and also like five other Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen movies that went direct to video. Seems like a little creepy, honestly. <laughs> okay. Also, if you can watch this movie, you have to watch the end because it's the most insane, confusing nonsense. I've ever seen because the last scene ends and they pan out like it's a behind the scenes thing. And they're like, no, Mary Kate, you said the wrong line. There was a rewrite and somebody hands her a script and she reads like the new line. Everybody laughs. And then like they're talking like they're behind the scenes, like they're real people and not actors. Like they're like, oh, we can't work with this director again. And blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, what is this nonsense? What? Who made this? Why did they make this? See, this is why you come to the Film for Fans podcast. <laughs> Not just for the high for the high cinema, but we get down into the weeds. We are down, we are at Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. So you cannot, you will not find another movie podcast that will cover the top of the top and Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen film. I might have to might have to queue up it takes two this week, you know, just to keep the train going. <laughs> all right now okay so i will go and i tell me you watched like an adult movie like a movie made for adults Mm -hmm. is what i meant not an adult movie that's entirely (laughs) (laughs) that is not what this podcast is about (laughs) yes i don't think we'll be headed in that direction there are other podcasts for that (laughs) presumably (laughs) wait wait where are those podcasts so i can avoid them which podcast specifically (laughs) Oh man. That was an it's always sunny in Philadelphia reference for those yeah. who did not get that. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Let's get it back on the rails here, Rob. <laughs> so much more fun off though. It is. it is. <laughs> so I watched uh I, I've been continuing my tour of 90s cinema and I've been into 90s murder mysteries. So one of them was good and one of them not so much. So we'll start out with the one that was eh, and it was a Harrison Ford movie. It was 1990s Presumed Innocent, mm. 1990. And I, I, I wondered why I hadn't seen it before. It's a Harrison Ford movie. It's a murder mystery. I like, I like both of these things. I, I was, why have I not seen this? And then I watched the movie and I was like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> It, it's not terrible, but it's not great. So it's on HBO Max. If you're interested, I'm going to give a few minor spoilers because I, I pretty much have to to talk about the movie. The plot of it is that Harrison Ford, a woman is murdered who he had an affair with. And he ends up becoming a suspect in the murder. Part of the problem, though, is his wife randomly talks about the affair, but you have no idea at what point the affair ended. You have no idea the dynamics of how they're still together. 
there's just so much unexplained about the relationship between the dead woman he had an affair with and his current relationship with his wife. Like, it's just, it's just a mystery as to how any of that occurred or how any of that happens. And at the end, they find the murder web. He finds, like, he gets acquitted because it's a, it's a murder mystery. He gets acquitted. <laughs> and he goes out to fix a fence and finds the murder weapon with the blood on it in his toolbox. Now, if you are, they, they show a scene in this movie where the detectives issue a search warrant for their house. How did nobody bother inspecting the toolbox in his garage for the murder weapon? I don't know, I don't know, no idea. No idea. So there was there was a lot left to be desired with the, with this film. The the dynamics were just a little bit weird, and I, it was just it was just okay. Have you ever seen this one? I what you're describing makes me feel vaguely like I have seen it, but um, don't remember much of it. But that's yeah. probably due to the fact that it wasn't that good. <laughs> really, it really isn't. So I mean, I can't really recommend it because. But it's not terrible, but it's it's okay. So the second one is actually quite good, and that was Murder at Sixteen Hundred, starring Wesley Snipes and Diane Lane. And the basic plot of the movie is a woman is killed in the White House, and Diane Lane plays a Secret Service agent. Wesley Snipes is a DC homicide cop, so he gets brought in just so it makes it look like they're actually investigating this. The problem is that Wesley Snipes, as he's trying to investigate this murder, is constantly being blocked by the Secret Service trying to not give him information. And as, as it turns out, there's lots of cover-ups, there's lots of ins and outs. But it's an interesting dynamic because you have a guy trying to investigate a murder where some of the other people who are supposed to be working on it are actually working against him. So there's a, there's a great dynamic with it. Diane Lane and Wesley Snipes are excellent. The plot, the plot is well reasoned. It's interesting. It's 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 a different take on the murder mystery, and it, it, it's it's a cool investigation. So they go down some interesting paths. Uh, this was Wesley Snipes at his best. He's energetic and and his character is great. And he's playing off of it. He's doing his his one liners and his quips. Of course, you still have to deal with a little bit of the 90s fashion with the ill-fitting clothing, but you know, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> is this on a streaming service? Because I have not seen this one, actually. I don't think so. Okay. I, I own the DVD, so you're welcome to borrow it at some point. But it's 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 definitely worth watching. It's it's one of the better murder mysteries from the late 90s, so I would highly recommend Murder at 1600. So you say Wesley Snipes at his best, but um, everyone knows that the only Wesley Snipes at his best is late. So. <laughs> anything else is wesley snipes at his almost best fair enough <laughs> <laughs> oh i just remembered i did watch another movie oh go for it uh, it was actually a good it was actually a fairly decent movie i'm gonna guess you've probably seen this movie um the next three days starring oh. is that russell Crow? russell crow right yeah 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 russell crow and elizabeth banks mm -hmm. um where elizabeth banks's character is wrongly framed for murder and uh russell crowe's character tries to figure out exactly what happened and how it happened and 
get her acquitted. And when he can't do it, he hashes a plan to break her out of uh, prison. And the interesting thing about this movie, uh, for me, one of the more interesting things was seeing where it was shot because it was shot in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was shot like directly in places where Ryan and I were a, a decade ago and we went to the, the NCAA tournament for a weekend. So as they're going through all these places, I was like, oh, I've been there, I've been there, I've been there, I've been there. <laughs> I love that when a, when a movie is set someplace where I've been. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I've walked on that street. <laughs> it's really cool. And um, so, yeah, they did a really good job with the setting. They actually go to the Pittsburgh Zoo, which is really cool because we went to the Pittsburgh Zoo. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's wild and crazy and I it's one of those movies where the whole time you're watching you're like, yeah, that would none of that would ever work <laughs> in real life. Like he would be uh jailed immediately if they found any of this stuff that was going on. Like what it also has uh the guy who plays Morgan from The Walking Dead, if you've watched The Walking Dead at all, uh is the main detective in the movie. And it's one of the few things I've seen him outside of the show in, which was pretty mm-hmm. fun to see. And one of Elizabeth Banks's, I guess, not super early, but earlier roles before she was like what she is now. Um, this was 2000, 2010. So she was hardly like the established, you could call her star, I think, now that she was, then uh, she was not that back then quite yet. So um, I would say it was an adequate movie. I don't think it was like amazing. It made 60, yeah, $67 million at the box office so it probably did not live up to all the expectations that it had on it but i don't believe i had seen it until this week so yeah i got i got to watch that and i should have talked about that instead because that was actually okay but the overwhelming um atlantisness of holiday in the sun just (laughs) overwhelmed my mind and i couldn't think about anything else well i mean we wouldn't get that analysis anywhere else so it had to happen uh, this podcast is sponsored by the Atlantis Resort, in case you didn't know, because that's the only reason why we would have talked about it this much. Yes, and we would love to have a stay at your fine resort. So Yes, please, free uh, tickets, please. Thank you. Please make that happen. <laughs> so the last movie I saw, I actually went to the theaters and saw a movie this week, and it was excellent. It was really, really good. It's called The Courier with Benedict Cumberbatch and Rachel Brosnan, uh, who is of Mrs. Maisel and other TV shows, uh, but she is broken into theater as well. And this was a really, really good movie. This, it stars, uh, like I said, Benedict Cumberbatch is a businessman during the 1960s who gets recruited by the Americans through the British embassy to basically become a spy in, Soviet, in the Soviet Union. Someone, uh, a high, level Russian official makes contact with the Americans saying he would like to help them prevent nuclear war because he was uh, afraid of what Khrushchev would do. And so they recruit this businessman because they think that he's going to be able to get past all the Russian security and all the, the Soviet security. So they recruit him to go spy and he becomes really good friends with this high level Russian official. And they work together to pass secrets about what's going on with the Soviet Union during the 1960s. And some of that information was directly led to 
some of the revealing of the, the missiles in Cuba before the Cuban Missile Crisis. So this is based on a true story and it was, it was exceptionally well acted. It's a really good period of time piece. If you love World War II, Cold War era type stuff, if you like, if you like spy films, this is really good. So I would definitely recommend seeing it. And I think they do a good job depicting without, without spending too much time on it and too much graphic, but they do a good job depicting Russian prisons and, and kind of the, the height of the Russian state as it were and how difficult and, and very dangerous it was to work in those, in those times and in those eras. So yeah, what, Benedict has, has been in, I guess you could call several of those period type yeah. war kind of espionage dramas. You think about Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, and you think about um, the imitation game just for a couple. Like it seems like he excels in that kind of character. He really does. He really does. Now I have to tell one one brief story about this. I went to see this at a newer movie theater, the the real cinema. Mm. They have outside each of the individual theaters, they have a video board that displays the movie poster and the times below it. And I walked into theater, I'm like, wait, that something doesn't look right. I walked back out and I look at it and the movie poster that's showing has the right title, The Courier, but it was a Courier movie from like 2018. <laughs> so apparently this system must operate somehow where you just type in the name of the movie and it just automatically brings up a movie poster <laughs> and nobody at the theater bothered to check that it was the right movie poster. So there they had right in front of the theater, the courier from 2018, which is like, I forget who was in it, but it was like girl on a motorcycle. <laughs> and it was like this future action movie. And I'm like, this is not the right movie. So just one of those funny things. All right, so yeah. Rob, I'm a big fan of Ben doing Cabbage Patch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's let's wrap this up with our recommendations. So, Rob, give the people something to watch this week. So, recently in the news, uh, there was an announcement that the movie Scott Pilgrim versus the World is being yes. remastered for Dolby Cinema and coming out in Dolby Cinema, which I think would be amazing if there was one anywhere near us. Um, but I don't think there is <laughs> like maybe Philadelphia would be the nearest one. Uh, there was one down at Walt Disney world when we were down there at the AMC theater in Disney, uh, uh, Hollywood Springs. Uh, but I would highly recommend you watch this movie, even if it's not in Dolby cinema, because this movie is like comic book nerd overload and the music is fantastic. And how it's shot is creative. Edgar Wright just killed it with this movie, in my opinion. Uh, you've got Chris Evans before he was Captain America playing an absolute jerk uh, figure skate or uh, figure skater skateboarder named Lucas Lee. And uh, just the whole movie, I could watch this movie probably on loop for hours and never get bored of it just because it's so clever and witty. And it feels like you're watching a comic book is really the only way I can describe it. Just some of the artistic choices they took with words on the screen and cuts and special effects. It's just, it's a different movie than I have experienced 
uh, like compared to any other one. And it is streaming on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, you should watch Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Okay. So my recommendation, I'm continuing with the baseball theme and I want to redeem a little Harrison Ford after having watched Presumed Innocent, which was, eh. And I'm going with 42. So I think you should watch 42, the movie about Jackie Robinson. So um, Harrison Ford plays Branch Rickey, the owner of the Dodgers. And it's the story of Jackie Robinson breaking into the big leagues and breaking the color barrier. And it's, it's a extremely well done movie. It features you a lot of great baseball scenes, uh, shows all the things that Jackie Robinson had to put up with and had to go through and how great of an inspirational figure he was. And also how, how good Branch Rickey was and, and how brave he was to do what he did at that time. And so it's a fantastic baseball movie and a, a great tribute to Chadwick Boseman, who is, uh, who is deceased and as he played Jackie Robinson and did incredibly well in that. So it's all around, it's a great movie and everyone should see it. Seconded. All right. That is the show. Thank you for watching the Film for Fans podcast. Remember to rate, subscribe, and like the podcast. Give us some comments and feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Also visit filmforfans.com as we have lots of articles and hopefully next week we'll do another review of uh, streaming services. Mm. We recommend on streaming services. So be looking for that. We've got uh, some other articles on the website. So make sure you check out filmforfans.com and until next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>